Hello and welcome to the Beard and Glasses podcast with me, Ben Greasley, and Stephen Hayes. All right, Ben. Hey, Steve. In this week's episode, we're talking about why Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys is better than Sgt. Pepper's by the Beatles. I think we're actually posing the question, <laughs> is Pet Sounds better than Sgt. Pepper's? And well, you knew that. You knew well, that. Well, no, no it, it is. We know that. We've, we've prepped this. But y- you want to go through the exercise anyway. Well, do you know what? Often the Beatles and the Beach Boys, it's good to compare them. And I think if you look across both bands' careers, the Beatles are clearly the better band. But often Sgt. Pepper's and Pet Sounds do get compared. So, Ben, you're fighting the corner of Pet Sounds. I am, proudly. Yeah, and I'm fighting the corner for Sgt. Pepper's to try and establish which is the better album. To establish that Pet Sounds is, yes. Now, I, both of us love both of these albums, and when we were talking about it beforehand, it was very much, which one do you want to do? We both felt quite open about both of them. Yeah. But as we've kind of done a bit of our research and we've listened more, both of us have come down on the side of the one that we're we're pitching for, haven't we? Yeah, I genuinely have. I started my research into the album, and the more I listened and the more I looked into the intricacies of the recording process and all the rest of it, it just became more and more an argument to, for Sgt. Pepper to be the superior album. But, you know, I'm looking forward to chatting it through and um, I'm sure you'll have some, frankly, fascinating points for us all, Ben. Uh, blind sweeping statements, more likely. <laughs> that is your style. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll go through Pet Sounds briefly to begin with as it was produced first and then just give you a bit of the history of the album and then we'll go through Sgt. Pepper's over that. Cool. Um so firstly, there there is no pets, pet sounds, pat sounds. There is no pet sounds without Rubber Soul by the Beatles. Um, Rubber Soul was an album produced the year before, and it had a huge influence on Brian Wilson and is part of the reason why he put together pet sounds. Um, and they all tie together, but then there's no, there's no Sgt. Peppers without pet sounds, so you can't even remove these albums from each other, can you, Steve? They are... They're all linked up, and they're all fantastic. And we wouldn't tell you to choose one. It got to a point with Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys where he got sick to death of singing about surfing and about cars. And I I remember an interview where he says, we milk the out of it. Oh, yeah. And he was just done. And and he's, yeah, so, well, as, as we'll discover, so much of a genius that he wanted to progress things and... He was look- they were looking at the Beatles music, but him in particular, seeing a more mature sound and uh, probably feeling a fair bit of envy. Absolutely. So what had happened is a year or a year and a half before Pet Sounds was released, um, Brian Wilson stopped uh, touring with the Beach Boys. They had a performance on a television show and he had a complete panic attack at the end of it, completely freaked out and wouldn't go on stage performances, wouldn't go on tour anymore, wouldn't do anything like that. A year after that, he then started putting together Pet Sounds. And the motivation for that was uh, Rubber Soul. And and the idea that Rubber Soul was the first concept album and then this one came afterwards, I think, is a bit grey. Brian Wilson would say that this album was produced and he put it together because he loved that Rubber Soul had a consistent theme. Mm. It had an idea that ran through the whole thing, that there weren't any filler tracks, that it wasn't just a hodgepodge of songs put together. It was a single contiguous thing it wasn't little bits that he pulled out and and that was his motivation in in pulling that out rather than i like the sound or i like the production it was the his an album um yeah that sounds is gone i guess yeah rubber soul is sonically it's, it's so satisfying isn't it as an album and yeah i mean it's kind of folky isn't it i think How it's quite it... an open sound yeah but it's so much of a, I guess that's the record where the Beatles really stepped out of their niche of, you know, very good pop songs, but pop songs nonetheless. And, yeah, they and, stepped away from singles and more towards the album. Yeah. So, yeah, you look at the track list for Rubber Soul, Drive My Car, Norwegian Wood, You Won't See Me, Nowhere Man, Think For Yourself, The Word, Michelle, What Goes On, Girl, I'm Looking Through You, In My Life, Wait, If I Need Someone, Run For Your Life. You know, you look at that track list and when you know that album and you know Pet Sounds, you can kind of see, oh yeah, you can see how that was the springboard for him. Absolutely, yeah. 
So so that was his goal in it. He wanted to build this this album, this single thing. And it builds kind of on the themes and ideas that he developed in his 1965 album, The Beach Boys Today, which was the one prior to Pet Sounds. There's a few tracks on there. What stands out, standout tracks uh, on that? Uh, I think it's California Girls. Okay, yeah, yeah. Is on that album. That makes sense. So Pet Sounds was the 11th studio album from The Beach Boys, 11th album in like... That's crazy. Barely, so they were producing like an album every year, every seven or eight months. They were just plowing through them constantly. It was amazing. Mm. Um, Pet Sounds peaked at number 10 in the US and number two in the UK, but it remained in the top 10 in the UK for six months when it came out. More proof that the British audience have a better taste and palate than the American <laughs> audience do ever. Yeah. Um, there were three singles on the album. There was Caroline No which was originally released as a Brian Wilson song. So it was just a single from him rather than a Beach Boys thing. Then there was Sloop John B and Wouldn't It Be Nice with a B-side of God Only Knows. Oh, man. So a single of... God Only Knows was a B-side? Was the B-side for it, yeah. Wasn't released as an album. Man. Um, It cost, I think at the time, $70,000 to make, which in today's money is about half a million dollars to produce one album. Wow. Uh, which was ridiculous. And so it got to number two on the Rolling Stone greatest albums of all time behind some other album. I can't remember what was number one <laughs> yeah, on that exactly. list at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for Brian Wilson to produce this album, he said he heavily used weed in the production of the album. Yeah, well, that's true on both records, I would say. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. He wasn't high when he was producing the work and doing stuff like that, but it just opened him up to creative avenues and whatever else in his production and songwriting um and apparently he also had a a horrific lsd trip um before producing this that left him with um auditory hallucinations for the rest of his life he could hear things after this lsd trip but before the production of this that's bizarre Um, isn't it yeah he he had help from one uh lyricist who helped him for three weeks um, where they were just bat ideas back and forth between each other. But this that... whole album... Tony Asher, on. is it? Yeah, Tony Asher helped him for three weeks, giving him kind of album ideas. But it was just that. And then the rest of it was entirely Wilson producing, doing a lot of the recording, all of the arrangements, all of the writing, everything. This guy on his own, while taking inspiration from Rubber Soul in the idea of consistent themes. But Wilson said he wanted to complete his one whole statement. In producing this album, there's then more fights, but that's the background of it. We can talk about the production a bit more. Yeah. Hearing all that reminds you of what a genius he is because he pulled it all together on his own. I think he was 21 or 22, Ben, when he produced and wrote that album, which is staggering. And I think for a lot of people, they don't really know the genius of Brian Wilson and they don't, they just see the Beach Boys as, yeah, surfer songs. And there was so much more there. But absolutely. what I'll say is this, Sgt. Peppers is superior. Okay, so the Beatles, Beatlemania hit, you know, 62, 63. They've got this slew of albums, similar, you know, just every six months or so, just churning them out. Huge production rate. Yeah, and the, so- the songwriting is fantastic, but the production is pretty typical of a 19, early 1960s, you know, album. Yeah, they're using a four-track to do most of their things. Yeah, and then 65 or 66, I think 65 was when they last toured, and they did Shea Stadium, but no one could hear them. Girls were just coming to the gigs screaming, and, and they got sick to death of touring. They just they were done. They were done with the, the mop heads and the suits, and they didn't want to just be screamed at, and they weren't progressing as musicians. So they made a pretty radical move to do away with touring mm. and to... And to you know really focus on what they could do in the studio which was never really done in that way before that choice to you know take touring out of the mix obviously brian did but just because of his mental state yeah whereas the beatles it, it was very thought out and the backdrop of them kind of being sick of things was when paul had the idea to have an album almost from a perspective of alter egos and that's where the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band concept was born. Yeah. Um, so there's loads of things, you know. It was the first album to have lyrics on the sleeve. The the actual budget. Was it? Yeah, the budget for the artwork was through the roof. And 
unlike Pet Sounds, it hit in June '67, and right. it, it was instantly a hit. I think Jimi Hendrix, in a live show, like two days after it came out, did a cover of Sgt. Pepper's the title track. The impact, and that was kind of instantaneous, and as we know now, long-lasting, and spoiler alert, that the num- number one Rolling Stone album is Sgt. Pepper's. And yeah. what's crazy is, I think there's like five other Beatles albums in the top 20. I think there are, but it's what we're going to... insane. What I'm going to talk about later is that I think there are better, better Beatles albums. Okay, well. But anyway. What then, Sgt. Pepper's? Yeah. Yeah, you might not be wrong. So they produced two of their greatest songs in Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane for the mm-hmm. Sgt. Pepper album. And then EMI got their dirty little hands involved and they said we need to put out a single. So Penny, Penny Lane and, and Strawberry Fields was released as a double A side and didn't go on the album. But their two songs that didn't go on the album, which <laughs> says a lot about the quality of what's actually on there. Absolutely. As you said, and I think Brian Wilson said in in an interview that the Beatles and the Beach Boys were on this endless cycle of, you know, spurring each other on. Now it wasn't an endless cycle, it was like three or four albums. Because you yeah. had Yeah, Rubber Soul influenced Pet Sounds, Pet Sounds influenced Sgt. Pepper's, and then Sgt. Pepper's influenced Smile, which was the album yeah. that he didn't that they didn't finish. Is it Smile or is it called Smiley Smile or something no, like that? No, Sm- Smile was the album. And then right. basically uh, poor Brian had a nervous breakdown yeah. and they didn't finish it. And then they pr- produced an awful alternate version without Brian's involvement. Oh, really. you don't do that. And that was Smiley Smile, which yeah, yeah. wasn't great. There's a cool story where Brian was driving along and I think he was working on Smile at the same time as Sergeant Peppers was going on. And he was driving along and he heard strawberry fields on the radio and he said to his driver pull over pull over so the, the guy pulled over and he he said they've done it already and the guy was like they've done what and he's like what i wanted to do with this new album they, they, they beat me to it and i think he might have sobbed in his car bless him um, oh that that's that's the battle you want to be in though isn't it yeah you want to oh, be fighting the beatles for creative development and pushing things forward yeah but hey two very good albums within the space of a year yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of the backstory of them both. Um, I mean, if you look at the production of how they both went down then, uh, so Pet Sounds was uh, produced, I, d- I mean, really Brian started putting this together. He wrote these song ideas over three weeks, but then he had to convince and fight his bandmates to, to get this whole thing built and put together. Mm. That when he started writing it, when he started bringing them into the studio as they were putting the arrangements together, they complained about what the lyrics meant. They said it wasn't their kind of music. I think one of them was on board and two of them were vehemently against it. Yeah. Um, he was fighting uphill the whole time to get anything done. The album was produced mainly on four tracks. As he was going through all of it, it sounded awful. You could hear people talking in the background. You could hear endless amounts of hiss and fuzz and mess. They just kept layering more and more up. So you'd get a four-track recorder, you'd double four tracks, you'd bounce it down to one track, then you've got three left, or you'd have a second four-track, and you just keep doing it over and over again. There wasn't the freedom to say, oh, let's go back and change that one little bit here. Once you summed it down to that one track, that was it. It was off on that bit, and you could do nothing with it. And you have to give credit to Brian Wilson doing what he did, not only not having a collaborator like John and Paul had in each other, and obviously then just George Harrison also, you know, in the mix. But he was, yeah, he had people actively opposing him. And Mike Love, I think, said, who's going to hear this? They were so against it. And they were like, where's the surfing songs, man? Yeah. What's going to make us money on this? They didn't like it. They didn't like the arrangements. Originally, Brian wasn't even going to get them in. So the rest of the Beach Boys aren't playing on this album at all. It's all studio musicians. There's a beautiful... So all of the bass parts, I think, are all done by Carol Kay, who's a session bassist, who is one of my favourite bassists. She was a guitarist who ended up picking up a Fender bass in one session, and that was it. (laughs) Um, And she plays on loads of these, and it's fantastic. Brian wasn't going to get the rest of his bandmates in. 
But eventually they persuaded them that it was kind of like a Brian Wilson feature pro- project, really. And and so he got them in to do all of the vocal parts. And he was so exacting with all the vocal parts that they called him dog ears, that he could hear things that no one else could hear. And they, for hours and hours and yeah. hours, went over these vocal parts. If you hear how the Beach Boys arranged vocal harmonies and how precise and how much time they spent on them in comparison to the Beatles freewheeling open <laughs> yeah great cool whatever kind of thing it's it's chalk and cheese it's the other end of the scales um once brian finally had all of this material together he had all of his songs he actually had more songs there was one that he didn't put on there um he had it mixed and he had it mixed in one nine hour session Blimey. so the whole of this album was put together in one nine hour session and brian mixed the whole thing mono because he's completely deaf in his right ear yeah. So, so he he can only hear out of his left ear. He couldn't trust anyone with stereo mixes, and he put this whole thing together. And there was a song that he left off the album because he wasn't happy with it being finished yet, and that song with good vibrations, which oh, was yeah. supposed to be on this album, but he took it off because he didn't think it was there yet. Yeah, and that that makes sense. I didn't know that, but on it's on Smile. And it it never feels like it's sonically a part of that album, so that kind of it's makes a pet sense. sounds it's a pet sounds song. So it's probably good to just think about the the tracks and actually you know break down the the songs on each album. It's... Did you want to describe the production process of of how the Beatles came into it? Because I know that there was talk of of Ringo being bored witless being the product through the production of this. Or yeah. is that no, is that baloney? No, Ringo said uh, he learned to play chess on this album. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah, a great album I, I think he was quite bored bless him yeah the production i mean in in this argument you do have the fact that brian did it all like he, he and if you listen to the tapes you can hear him intricately just uh instructing each of the musicians as to what he wants whereas obviously the beatles had george martin and yeah he's a uh, accomplished producer but that's pretty typical of music it's very rare for a band to do what brian did yeah so they they lean heavily on george obviously but then they were always pushing him and they wanted it to they pushed him to bring more sounds to bring more invention into their music there's a there's a great thing and we'll you know hone in a little bit more when we go through the tracks but i remember hearing that john said he wanted to smell the sawdust on being for the benefit of mr kite and that really gives you gives you the idea of what they were pushing him to do. They were always asking for more instruments, new sounds, and you know, leading into it, the, the actual songwriting. With Paul and John, you have the thing that would happen with any great collaboration, where they're competitive. So one writes yeah. one writes a great song, and the other thinks, "Flipping egg, great, great song," and then pushes you to be better to be more inventive in your modulations within tracks, changing time signatures. You know, George Martin was instrumental in it, but that, that by no means lessens it because it's still a Beatles record and they, and they were the ones calling the shots ultimately. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You, you get production credits for something you don't get. It's still the Beatles and it's not like they got a new producer in for it or anything. He's, he's been there since day dot. Yeah. And, And that's completely valid. And as you alluded to earlier, they were doing this on four track. So these days, yes. you or I right now on our respective computers could record an infinite number of tracks if you had yeah. if you had enough storage. Just at home, like I could do it now. I think I can do like 32 or 64 tracks on my phone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Whereas they were dealing with four track. So to push things in the studio like they did, and how they how they worked the overdubs and how they pieced it all together was just unheard of, and it changed it changed studio recording forever. Absolutely, and, and you could say someone would have eventually, but it's moot because the Beatles did. <laughs> yeah, they did it. Yeah, someone had to do it first. Okay, someone went to the moon first. Yeah, you believe like... you believe we actually got to the moon. Well, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to circle back to that one in a couple of years? Yeah, we'll, we'll come back. <laughs> so 
So come on, give, give me a track list, and I'll go through mine. Sergeant Pepper's track list, 13 tracks. 13 tracks for uh, Pet Sounds so as well. We won't go into them, but here are the tracks. So Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, with a little help from my friends, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Getting Better, Fixing a Hole, She's Leaving Home, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, Within You, Without You, When I'm 64, Lovely Rita, Good Morning, Good Morning, that's not two different tracks. It's just good morning, good morning. Then it is it doesn't even have a comma. Then you've got Sergeant Pepper's uh, the re- the reprise and a day in the life. Good songs. What's Pet Sounds? Very good songs. Pet Sounds is wouldn't it be nice? Uh, you still believe in me? That's not me. Don't talk. I'm waiting for the day. Let's go away for a while. Sloop John B. God only knows. I know there's an answer. Here today, I just wasn't made for these times. Pet Sounds and Caroline No. Do you know what stands out for me, even hearing those back? I know I know this album yeah. really well, like really well. And there's one or two tracks, yeah. if you just threw them at me, just the names, I'd be like, don't... I'm not Couldn't sure, sing I'm not, off the yeah, top of your head. Which is quite surprising. And I think that probably reflects the fact that it is this one piece, isn't it? This is partly my one of my defences that for me, this is this is an album. Yeah, you can call these kind of they're not really singles, they're not really songs. Some of them are just instrumental parts that lead into the next song. Um, they have a cohesive theme. They have a follow on in, and it's all very subjective. They have a follow on from my understanding of story as it goes through the whole thing where. The Beatles produced this album, which sounds in, Pe- in Sgt. Pepper's amazing, but I don't feel it has a cohesiveness. I feel that they are still far more singles within that's been brought together rather than a single whole written element. Yeah, I, I think that's an argument I was hoping you wouldn't come to. So you had so the concept of the album was that you'd have this alter ego band, the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. So they start off with uh, Sgt. Pepper's and you know it's this big heavy rock a- anthem you've got paul's kind of rock vocal which is so gravelly and you know little richard influence i love that song oh which yeah it's huge and you don't really before that before that album you don't really hear rock in that kind of way in any beatles albums um unless they're covering you know little richard tracks early on but in terms of their new ma- new material so you've got this big intro and then going on to with a little help from my friends, which is introducing this fictional Billy Shears, which which Ringo, of yeah. course, sings. And then they kind of abandon the concept after two tracks. Yeah, they get bored. They've got kind of a very short attention span. It's like, here's our idea. Oh, um, because the problem is they can't help but tell really great stories in these songs. They can't stick with the theme and a slow theme throughout no, the whole No, but even it. still, those um, those two tracks and the whole concept sets up so much of the quirkiness in some of the other songs, like She's Leaving Home and, yeah, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, she, Lucy in the Sky. She's Leaving Home is one of my favourite songs on the whole album. Um, but we'll talk to that. So the first few tracks on on Pet Sounds are... Wouldn't it be nice? Which starts with this utterly fantastic little... Is it, is it a violin or a guitar? Oh, or a, um, I can't even work out what the instrument is. Are you familiar with the Wall of Sound? The Phil Spector thing? So, yes. so that's a huge influence yes. for Brian in this album. And then he's got the, the Wrecking Crew, the recording artist, I think, did a lot of Phil Spector albums. Yeah. And so they did a lot of like two instruments playing the same thing. And this is genuinely off the top of my head, but I think it's a piccolo and something else. Great. I, I love it. And so if you listen to the vast majority of the Beach Boys stuff up to this point, and I've gone through quite a few of the albums prior to this, it's the same four or five instruments. They're played well, but it's the surf rock going through a, a fender ramp with a bit of verb, and it's it's the same sound the whole way through. And well, it's good, but it's not anything amazing. And then you get this this beautiful melody line and then just a drum hit, and then it just comes straight in with everything, and it's utterly fantastic. It never stops but make me it's smile al- every single time it's I hear it. It's almost ice cream vanny, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it is. It's that. 
Now that's that's not a positive light to throw it in, but it is that da 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 da. It's this beautiful little thing, and that that kind of string part. So and it Brian almost Wilson, sounds like it dips out of tune in some ways. It's quite disorientating. It's there's so much detuned stuff all across it. It's great. <laughs> it's it's not clean in that mm. way by any means. It's the same as what we were saying with Coldplay. That detuned yeah. human element to it, um, and. And this song starts the whole start of the album. And the whole album is about love. It is about, it seems to me to be a male protagonist who's growing through love, through the whole thing, fails all the time, miserable, gets self-aware. I could talk about my my feelings towards who I see in in this album all the way through. But just in this, the idea of this... uh, the start of a relationship of anticipation for the future of hope in the future is just this beautiful wouldn't it be nice if we were older yeah just this this idea being pushed forward i love the, i love the sentiment um, as well of you know we could be married we would, then we could be happy it's so it's so yeah oh wouldn't yeah, it be it's nice lovely. and you know all the songs these days about love in the club and all the rest of it <laughs> something with a bit of morality is actually quite nice to hear it's it's so but that's and that's where it sits in the album it's right up front it's full of the innocence then the second track is you still believe in me um which is talking about after all i've done to you how can it be that you still believe in me um which is just this horrible sad thing that this character is becoming more self-aware of his failures his inabilities to do things yet his love from this first song is still with him, but he doesn't know why she's still with him. Uh, it's, it just carries on. And then the third song, That's Not Me, which then starts to pitch slightly away from love as a theme and more into defining who I am, kind of I, I you know, you think I'm like this, whereas that's not me. I think I'm like, that's not me. It's this great thing. And it's got this 12-string part in it as well. Um, and it's this, hot, it's this beautiful non-diatonic arrangement. So it's not diatonic as in it's in the key of scene it has the same arrangement it's all all over the place and the Beatles do the same thing constantly um I could probably talk for 20 minutes just on each of these songs and we really no, don't we have don't. time for it I mean that that's the first yeah. few that first song for me is fantastic the other two are great in the album and follow on for it yeah, um I mean what there's a great anecdote from the, I think it's the Beatles anthologies where they talk about getting a copy of Pet Sounds and I think they're in the UK and, and someone played it to them and they listened to the whole thing and then just put it back to the start and listen to the whole thing again. <laughs> so it, it, that's a good, really, yeah. it's really cool. And I think, yeah, those first few tracks uh, set the tone really nicely, but with Sergeant Peppers, I think it's the vast array. So I think what's actually really great with it is because what happened with rubber soul and I think revolver, I'd say revolvers as good as rubber soul for, for me if not maybe better mm-hmm. and they've done that kind of like one album with one sonic feel so with this the the amount of the range is breathtaking yeah so obviously you've got sergeant peppers little help for my friends ringo vocal you know ringo's vocal it is what it is but then you've got but then it's, it's ringo got this dreamlike lucy in the sky oh the the intro on lucy is it's like nothing yeah, else. I love incredible. it. It's beautiful. And it's so, yeah, it's dreamy. It's And the story behind it. In fact, Ben, I kind of thought of something. What does Lucy in the Sky have in common with Hey Jude? I don't know. Julian Lennon inspired, kind of. So Ju- Julian Hey Jules was Hey Jude. And on this track, he brought home a picture of a school friend and said it's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And that's where it came from. And you obviously had controversy at the time that people thought it was about LSD. And they, <laughs> the Beatles basically rejected that. I think if it was called Lucy Sky Diamonds, then they... But yeah, you, you have to take out half the letters to actually make that work. Uh, but it's incredible. And when you delve into exactly what's going on, and this happens with Beatles all the time, where you can pick up a guitar as a guitarist and you th- you think i could figure out the chords to most beatles songs you can't no you can't They're, it's so complex so in this song it goes from three four and then to four four in the chorus yeah then and in the in the verses 
Paul's base actually leaves the key of A, which kind of destabilizes you yeah, a little you, bit. Yeah, you shift the key center to something else. Yeah, and then the pre-chorus goes to B flat, and then the chorus modulates to G. It's insane. These are ideas that they did take from Pet Sounds in the the bass pushing the key center off to somewhere else. And John will say this, oh no, Paul will say this, that he did, yeah, some of my bass arrangements I've definitely taken from how Brian Wilson arranges bass. And it's yeah. it's absolutely valid because he's grown and learned from it, but it's, it's so creative. Yeah, both bassists, of course. Absolutely. Um, and John's vocal in this track is actually recorded at a lower speed and then sped up. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, so when you listen to it and you know that, you think, yeah, you kind of get that. You get that there's something amiss with his vocal, and it makes him sound younger. Yeah, so, and it gives the song that kind of like dreamy vibe, and then straight after that, getting better, another incredible song. Um, See, I'm not that fussed on getting better. I think it's lovely as a song, as a single. Hmm. I don't think the production of that song is this big grand event i don't think it's it's got as much finesse as anything on pet sounds i don't think it has as much finesse as she's leaving home or something like that no it doesn't but i've got really good memories of getting better because my brother and uh sam you know both of them we used to go to western every year with our church and we always listen to getting better as we are entering the beautiful uh seaside of western supermare but there's also, whilst that song could be a little bit underwhelming from a production perspective, there's so many songs that I hear where that oh, that, yeah. that guitar is ripped off all the time. And in Hamilton, actually, uh, have you seen Hamilton? Or I haven't, Hamilton? no. I've heard it, yes. So the, the King of England, his first song ends with, and it's actually uh, getting better inspired, ends with that link. that guitar is ripped off so even on a song that in the context of the album seems underwhelming it's still so iconic and and it's been ripped off so many times it is a great part and and it works in this concept album i just don't feel that it it sits homogeneously and i feel it's i don't feel like i don't feel like you sit homogeneously (laughs) (laughs) is that gonna be your argument So is your face, basically. Yeah, exactly. So what comes uh, next on Pet Sounds? So on Pet Sounds, you've got That's Not Me. Then you've got Don't Talk, which is is this very sombre, down, uh, very fragile song. It's great. It's this, it's, this, it's this guy in bed with his girl, and he just wants her not to say anything, just to lie on her and just to sleep. And it's this... Again, it fits in with the album beautifully. It's this lovely kind of this drop off just before you get into "I'm Waiting for the Day." Um, it's got this this beautiful staccato reverb part under the whole thing, where it's like a guitar doing like sixteenths or twenty. It's something you hear in modern kind of electric guitar with tons of delay and verb just staccatoing under the whole thing, and it's on this from mm. 1965. Um, yeah. It doesn't build to a crescendo. It doesn't have a big verse. It doesn't do anything. It just sits. You couldn't release this as a single. It's just this single idea this thought on its own and again it ties into this story you don't know if this is a new love if this is a love of someone that we've heard from in previous songs Mm. it's just this thing and it's just kind of trying to bring this little idea across um and then it goes from this where it just kind of settles into it into a timpani solo in i'm waiting for the day where it just goes bum 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 but bum 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 but and then this hammond organ comes in with this again an iconic beach boys part and then drops down into a quiet verse i mean the idea of a big swell into a quiet verse is just is perfected in this song Mm. with this beautiful bass line it's basically just got this little keys part over the whole front of it and then this bass line that's holding the whole thing together um and then builds all the way to the end with these huge vocal parts again the the harmonies over the whole end of it and it's kind of almost a round um as it gets to the end and there's a, an orchestral oh i could just go on about the whole thing for ages <laughs> getting lost in metaphors and then there's this whole string part just at the end of it on its own um 
it's really annoying that I can't put it on. Normally, if I was arguing with someone about why this is the best album, all I would do is put this album on and just, say, just sit and listen to this. I don't need to tell you anything about it. Brian Wilson just... says the best way to listen to this album is sat in the dark. Just listen to it start to finish. In head in headphones, I think. So I, this is what I did yesterday. So we were talking about the in doing this and preparing for us, we've both, both listened to these Hang albums on, you pre- a lot. Pre- you prepared for this? Yes, this isn't all off the top of my head. I have notes. <laughs> um <laughs> Good for you. We, we prepared a lot, and so I've sat and listened to this all week. I've listened yeah. to it with my kids. I sat on my own and listened to it. I've listened with headphones. I've been drinking. I've been sober while listening to it as well. Gone through <laughs> all of it, and it's just great. You get so much going on. Um, I'm going to carry on. The next song that you get after that is an instrumental break. You get Let's Go Away For A While, mm-hmm. which is just this... It's the nearest thing that you get to groove on the album. So it, it never really rocks, this whole thing. And this is why I would say that, in some ways, I enjoy the sound of uh, Sgt. Pepper's more because it's got more guts, it's got more rock to it. I love yeah. playing rock and roll, and I love rock and roll, and that's got more. But I think well, what, this... Why don't you put another dime in the jukebox, Ben? <laughs> I just love this one. It's incredible. So, yeah... I preaching to the converted in many ways but you're we both love these albums yeah exactly but you'll you'll see why later on i think sergeant peppers is superior so motoring right right along fixing a hole again great song super quirky yeah just completely different and then that jumps from that into she's leaving home oh you know it's and this is it's a newspaper story about a 17 year old who left home yeah and one of the kind of themes on this album is whilst the production and concept and everything are quite grandiose most of the songwriting is actually grounded in you know working class situations and newspaper stories and very most of the songs are telling very human stories she breaks down and cries daddy our baby's gone yeah i know it's (laughs) it's a a cheery number oh you've got that beautiful harp opening yeah you've got the emotionally gripping storytelling there's and a cello under the whole thing, isn't there? Is it yeah, a cello? Yeah, it's kind of... Um, the, st- the strings parts are a little bit reminiscent of Eleanor Rigby at points. A little um, bit, yeah. But yeah, you've got a, a modal melody, and I, I'm not going to uh, suggest that I... Go on, swap me up. I knew this just because of my own knowledge of music, but I've just read around it. Um, yeah, it's called an Oalian... Yes. ...mode. I know the Oalian mode, mode, actually. Yeah. yeah. Which gives it a kind of like ancient vibe, almost almost like a green sleeves, like Yeah. The way the melody lilts up and down, it's very it's very um somber, but without mm-hmm. without just being Yeah. So I shouldn't say. <laughs> but yeah, so Paul probably did this subconsciously if if we're honest. I'm not sure if he intended to do that, but I think they had so much influence, um, in in all of these songs and then straight from there you've got uh, being for the benefit of mr kite again like i touched on earlier so this is based on a poster from a night from yeah. an 1843 uh in that john got in an ant- antique shop so most of the lyrics are from that flyer yeah and yeah and again so the amount that's going on you've got horses you've got george martin on a harmonium you know that old that yeah, old circus feel is incredible. This is the most cacophonous song. Oh, no, it's not the most cacophonous. There's a moment in a later song, but this is. So this is again a work of art, just in its its creation, in its technical completion, in, in what it was able to create. Yeah. It it clashes horribly with "She's Leaving Home." <laughs> yeah. It it bears no relation to. I mean, the theme's long gone. It's no longer a a single concept for an album. This. I know they were trying to produce something, and this is, you could only do this as as recorded music. You can't perform these things live practically without dozens of people Yeah, involved. nor were they meant to be. No, but it's there's not a, a, a there's not a theme. And you go from She's Leaving Home, and it just comes down to this this quiet point, and then, butter, 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 for the benefit of Mr. Kite, it just flies straight yeah, off but it, into but it that. it just works. That's the weird thing with it. The, the... I, I think it works for you because you know it's coming because you listen to it in this order and you know it gets to the end of that and it's about to start straight No, into because this you've thing. got the kind of separation into She's Leaving Home. But then when this comes in, it kind of calls back to the first couple of tracks that are quite big and quite out there. 
this does Mr. Benefit the Benefit Mr. Kite does tie far more into the Sergeant Pepper's theme than a lot of the other tracks that we've heard prior yeah, to. Yeah, and it. and I think the theme is, you know Yeah, you could argue that sonically Sergeant Pepper's isn't anything near Pet Sounds, and I'd probably agree with you. But there's just so much on offer that the theme is it's so diverse, there's so much going on, but so many of the so much of the lyrics are rooted in in mostly quite mundane stuff but within um one of the great highlights of of that track for the being for the benefit of mr kite is they wanted the uh, fairground organ sound so so they use something which is called a um i think it's called cali 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 appears or something and it it operates with punch cards and george martin got a load of these punch cards pieced them all together so when you've got this cacophony of sound um you you feel like you're in the fairground so the punch cards, they work with like player pianos yeah. as well. It's that kind of thing where you're there. I think it's a machine with a big wheel, a big handle where you're turning it around and it's punching through all of these or something similar yeah. to that. I mean, yeah, the experimentation on it's it incredible. is and you do is to be lauded. Yeah, you smell the sawdust. You do smell the sawdust. If that's what if you if you're going for smell the sawdust, you've got it. But it isn't this pop masterpieces of Sloop John B, which um, uh, I feel so broke up. I want to go home. Just that the whole arrangement of that is, yeah, I mean, it's a cover in of itself. Another ice um, cream, another ice cream truck intro. He's using a sound palette that he's developed through this whole thing. And the thing is, He's using instrumentation that worked for the equipment at the time. So if you're looking at the sound gear that most people have, you're hearing what people use on the radio, you don't have a a huge dynamic range of sound. You don't have beautiful headphones where you can hear full dynamic range. You've got a crappy little car stereo or a radio or something. And glockenspiels and xylophones and strings sit in there really well. They're in the same kind of range as the human voice and you can hear things beautifully with it. If you want to try and get a, ra- a a melody line across in 1960s American cars, those are the instruments you use. They sound good in a car. And the, and it had to sound good in a car. If the record didn't sound good there, then it didn't sound. No, certainly for a Beach Boys record. Yeah. Certainly for a Beach but Boys S- record. Sloop John B almost kind of seems like a... It breaks the theme of the album. It does. And but I I go one step further and I I kind of have this meta application to it of the protagonist who's going through all these different love problems, who's moved away from home, who's had a series of relationships that have just been very kind of selfish or empty. You then get the let's go away for a while instrumental refrain, which for me is kind of a passage of time that you're seeing in the record, and then you get Sloop John B, which I almost see him as in a karaoke bar. Or something. He is singing this song. He's like, I've just had enough with with where we're at. Or I I I, I want to go. I want to go home. I'm done. I've been messing myself about. So it gets you know. It takes you that step out of the whole genre. But I kind of like it, and it's a way of getting a more upbeat song into what is very introspective. But but that album is that song is really a warm up for God only knows, which is. It's the best song on the whole album. And this song, I've listened to it probably 15, 20 times over the last week and a half, two weeks. It literally gives me shivers down my spine every single time I listen to it. Just, it's beautiful. It's the best. It's the best, it's the best pop rock. It's the best song ever written, probably. It's it's um, Paul McCartney's favourite song. If you ask him what's the best mm. song, he says it's God Only Knows. Yeah, it's incredible. It is. And again, kind of similarly to Lucy in the Sky, it's impossible to know what the key is. It's all over the place, so it doesn't follow a diatonic scale. It doesn't stay in the same key so centre. It, it pushes all it over the place. It starts in uh, D, I think, does it? Couldn't couldn't tell you. Haven't even I've so I have not bothered going to the technical exercise of understanding the full pull and pushes of all of these songs. I'm just, which is quite odd for me, yeah. just sitting going through how does this make me feel why do i think this is better than yeah. that rather than the technical thing of it i mean this is one of the greatest songs in the world and it starts with 
I may not always love you. <laughs> yeah. Which you only get to that point because of the earlier parts of the album. You get kind of naive, lovely love at the beginning. You get heartbreak, self-awareness. You get loss. You get resentment and saying, stuff this, I'm off. And then he's got this new love, or you think it could be a new love. But even the best he can possibly offer is, I may not always love you, but da 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 da. And verse two is, if you should ever leave me. Yeah. And it is, that's the best he can do. Do you know what? For about a week, Beck and I had this penciled in as our first dance. (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought, hang on, I may not always love you. But then it does say, but as long as the stars above you, you never need to doubt it. And there'll always be stars above. So in a a way, but there is that kind of bittersweet element, isn't there? That's that's... It's, it's the resigned. He knows himself. He knows that he can't fully commit and it's it won't last forever. And he says that in the song. It's it's so bittersweet. There's so many covers of this song where yeah i've listened and you know some great artists josh uh, josh stone has done it uh michael buble you know some great singers and e- have you listened to the him and her yeah one? i have i do love it but every time i listen I'm like oh, I just, it's not it's not the beach boys it's not it that isn't recording is so iconic and and it's almost like why would you ever want to listen to any other version of that song i know I think I can I can listen to very acoustic versions to put the lyrics far more out in front of it. Um, but I always come back to this one because the ascending key changes that you get all the way through and the kind of staccato parts that then break into a strings part um, with then the vocal harmonies that come over the top, it's, it's just all together. Um, and then, uh, so what, again, what track is God Only Knows? Are we at God only knows his eight. eight. So yeah, eight so track. Jumping back to Sergeant Pepper then. Yeah. So side two of the actual record. And hey, do you know I've got a 1967 actual copy of that record? I yeah, do not. And it's got like the cutouts and everything on the inside. It warps a little bit on "She's Leaving Home," I I think. Oh. But no, it's um, it was like twenty five pounds in in Oxfam about. 15 years ago and i think this yeah this was before you know people just priced everything up on the internet so you could actually get a bargain um yeah so when you anyway when you turn the record you then go from being for the benefit of my mr kite to within you without you which is which is the most psychedelic track in the history of psychedelia yeah yeah it's just groundbreaking and i you know i'm not a big fan of indian music i don't really listen to it not i just don't happen to listen to Indian music. It's not your bad. No, but the way George brings it in, it's this meshing of cultures. And he had he he had spent time with um, Ravi Shankar, and so he'd been quite affected. And you and I think you hear sitar on I want to say Norwegian wood. I think yeah. so. Yeah. But he just picks out the notes, and it's not really it's there, but it's it's almost like a bit of color. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, you just get a little bit over the top, and don't you? Yeah, so in this, he f- is fully embracing the kind of Indian rhythmic patterns. So you've got a thing called a tal, which is um, a pre-decided groove, and and it and it can change speed within Indian music. So it's yeah. so it's just so out there. And George actually coaches Indian musicians in this session to kind of incorporate <laughs> Western approaches. So it, it kind of lands somewhere in the middle. And yeah, it's, it is groundbreaking in music. Because you'd never hear in the 60s something that. You're right. It is groundbreaking. It, it brings it to an entirely new audience. Does it sit well in this album? I would say yes. I would say no. You have to embrace the diversity in this album. Because you then. I, I love the you, diversity. You then go from that into when I'm 64. Which is ridiculous. It's this. I love when I'm 64. I think I call it, it's a pretty ditty. You know, it's it, it's this wonderful thing on its own. Is it clarinet or oboe or something? And it's got this boom, ding, boom, ding, boom, ding, ding. And it, it's, it's great. And I love, I love the whole arrangement Vera, of the song. Chuck and Dave. Yeah, oh, but it's, 
it doesn't take itself seriously at all. It's, it's really uh, Paul like wrote it. that in the um, cavern. Yeah, Did so he? the melody, you know, went back all those years, and I th- I remember hearing it yeah. a while ago. And I've you know I've I've watched and read so much on the Beatles down the years, so I don't know where I've picked it up. But I remember hearing that he wrote it when he was the melody when he was sixteen. So I think maybe he then progressed it in the Cavern Club, and it just sat on the yeah. shelf for all those years. But again, within the context of the album, it shouldn't work, but it just does. I I think what works and why these come together as a Beatles album is because the Beatles were just by their nature more experimental. By their nature, they're just yeah, we'll throw this here, we'll put this together. You know, this isn't the Brian Wilson super exacting, methodical must be this, must be that. It's the throw it all in the pot. Great, we love how this sounds. This is a true representation of where we are at as artists at the moment. I think this is where the Beatles are starting to think of themselves more as artists as opposed to pop stars or a band or whatever else. And you get away with this because of who it is who's doing it in the context. If anyone else tried to do this album, if this was a, you know, if this was a an opening album for anyone, you'd say, what kind of music do it's you play? Yeah. What is a complete and it is a complete yeah, mess, but a brilliant mess. So a brilliant mess. At the uh, risk of making this a four-hour episode, can you <laughs> bash through your next few tracks, Ben? Right, I will bash through these tracks. This is going to be sad. So after you go through God Only Knows, you get to um, I know there's an answer which is kind of looking outside of himself, a beautiful song, more timpanis. So some of the arrangement things that Brian used was he would record timpanis separately and put endless amounts of reverb on them because timpanis themselves don't have a a long decay. They've got a bit of a decay, but then it drops off. But he wanted to use them to give these big, long notes. And so he would do this timp stuff where it's just recording the timps on its own and then delay it out forever. Um, I think there's a banjo on this. There's like a, a woodwind break with some banjo stuff going on. Um, it's Again, it's a more upbeat song on it. Then moving on from that to the 10th track is Here Today. Um, that sadly, this is after God only knows. He's more self-aware. He knows that love won't last and that it's infatuation. He's talking about there's a possible new love here today, but it's gone tomorrow that you're going to end up hurting someone. Um, and you you know who you are, uh, you know it's it's sad that he's if it's playing out in order, which um, it might be, it, he's got that. But again, it's a great song. Um, and then after that, you've got I just wasn't made for these times, which uses the theremin throughout for and that was used on this track and on this album before it was even on the Star Trek theme tune. So theremin was being used here in this very creative way. And even now, it's an instrument that most people shy away from because it's an utter nightmare. And ghost, ghostly, it's hard to get away it? with. It's ghostly, but it doesn't sound ghostly here. And if it, I can't think of a better sound setup or a band than, a Beach, than this Beach Boys record to have theremin on it. Um, in my mind, this is a song that was written by Brian Wilson kind of towards his peers not towards his bandmates you know i wasn't for here people say i'm so i've got all the brains but it's not getting me anywhere no one understands how i fit into this what am i supposed to do what's incredible is you see brian at that time and the frustration he was going through you know the crap he had from his father you know the yeah. bandmates not understanding him as an artist and not knowing the flipping genius they had in their midst and Tony Asher did such a good job of capturing his emotions in the lyrics because you almost it's so Brian of that time you forget that he's pretty much not the lyricist on that album yeah so I think he's coming up with all the the feel the the kind of here's where I want this song to go and then he's he's then being given some beautiful lyrics to push it there I have two tracks left what are your final tracks okay so coming into land I mean lovely Rita I'm not. I'm not gonna dwell on that for too long. It's no. about someone who gave Paul a parking ticket. <laughs> That's it. Um, then you've got "Good Morning, Good Morning," which was based on a cornflake ad. Yeah. I. So if we've talked about previously having songs on in the background during dinner or something, 
You can't really have salt and no. peppers on in the background. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good ah. morning. I love the time signature in it though. Um, da da, and it kind of it cuts the last bar mm. and then jumps back yeah. into things. It does some interesting stuff, but there's not much you can say about that. The fact that you've got two songs next to each other that, mm, not that I can, I could take them or yeah, leave ma- them, which is why I think this isn't the potentially yeah, best album. Yeah, imagine taking those out and putting Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields in. Yes, but sadly they're not there. Yeah, so my pressure. Come on. Um, <clears throat> and then you've got the Sergeant Pepper's reprise. I love the drums uh, on this. Yeah, it's great. And it was actually Neil Aspinall, which was the Beatles, one of the kind of assistants in, in a circle, who suggested they bookended it with this reprise. Is it reprise or reprise? I'm going with reprise. Yeah, I think so. And then, kind of coming into the end of the album, you you think it's over. But oh no, they've saved a day in the life. This is the best song on the whole album. Yeah, totally. Um, it's a newspaper article again. You know, you've got really iconic piano intro. You've got Ringo's toms, uh, more like classical percussion on this song. Is it true that when they were recording this, he just came in late and sat down late on it? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure, but it, sa- it sounds like Ringo. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm in late. Yeah. I'll just come in now. I'm not sure. There's, yeah, you get all sorts of um, stories about Ringo, and I don't know if anyone knows how true they are. Apparently, so- I love him. someone once asked uh, John if Ringo was really the best drummer in Liverpool, and apparently the answer was, he's not even the best drummer in the band. <laughs> <laughs> why is John Northern? He was that, that day, I don't know why. Okay, cool, that's fine. But no, Day in the Life is, for me, it's, it's quite a... Um bit of a schizophrenic arrangement that you get this beginning bit that's very not traditional Beatles but very kind of storytelling quite it's it's choppy and it's upbeat and then it goes way out there yeah well you've got the I read the news today oh boy that John which is kind of like quintessential John in that it's kind of a bit like imagine but then you've got Paul's part where they kind of spliced in a bit of another song Paul was working on so I always think of this as as a John song and I forget about oh yeah there's a whole Paul bit. No, for me, um, it's it's a split between the two. It is, yeah, it totally is. And then you've got this kind of cacophony of sound where they got all the musicians to start on their lowest possible note, and then basically do whatever they want, rising up to their highest note, but it had to be within E flat, I think. Right. So you've just got this incredible moment, which is just, it's just crazy, and. Then you've got this big chord at the end that just stays uh, on and hums. And it's actually yeah. seven pianos, an electric organ, and a harmonium that play this. Uh, and it, <laughs> and it's, again, <clears throat> it's so true of this album that even something like what, what you think is a piano chord has got so much more underneath it. It's so layered. It's, there's so much going on. And, and you, could, you could probably do a podcast episode on every song on the album. Right. So after... I just wasn't made for these times. We've got Pet Sounds, which is the final interlude on the album. Again, for me, this feels like a long passage of time. I love the fact that there are musical interludes and they're not really, they're not a kind of the end of a side of an album. They're just there on their own to give a, a different arrangement. And this one's got a lot of brass on it. It's got a lot of percussion. It's working it. Um, it gets a bit of a groove going in it as well. Um, and then it comes in onto Caroline No, uh, which is heartbreak this is the last song this was the first single off the album this was the brian wilson i was about to say brian may no brian wilson (laughs) single um and he's re-met up with a girl it could be a girl from one of the earlier songs it would be horrific it was the girl from the very first song or from i'm waiting for the day or even worse god only knows and we see this broken person we see this he's looking at them with sadness trying to find parts of this person who he loved but they're kind of they're gone they're cynical or they're bitter or cold whatever it is if you were his wife and you heard this song you'd be thinking i don't think we're in a good place no you couldn't hear where did your long hair go yeah where is the girl i used to know oh man (sighs) awful and it's so sad and and i love the fact that this so in stark contrast to sergeant peppers this doesn't go out with a bang uh this goes out with a limp, it kind of goes out, so this has been a kind of a growth for the protagonist of this whole album that they have become, that this is kind of full circle almost, 
but this time going into it, they know more of who they are. They're a broader person, um, and it's just it's it's very sad. But they've grown. Hope you hope that they've grown, but potentially they're just going back into more more of the same. And then it finishes with a dog and a train. Yeah, it's Brian Wilson's dog. It's Brian Wilson's dog. But what I mean, what does the train mean? Why is there a train on it? Just cause. <laughs> just because. But so that that's the full extent of the album. But as you were saying on yours, this was supposed to have um, good vibrations on it. Mm. And can you imagine well, that, if that also had theremin, didn't it? Oh yeah. Woo! Yeah, that, that's me singing "Good Vibrations" theremin part. Yeah, I've, that'll probably go viral. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Sadly, um, they can't see the video. No. So here's the thing, right? Because I don't think I think we should have a bit of a closing argument here. Absolutely. Now, for me, is the question we posed at the beginning is is Pet Sounds better than Sgt. Pepper's? And I yes, guess album to album. Yeah, and I guess that's the question because, as we said, the kind of Rolling Stone um, best 500 album has got has got Sgt. Pepper as number one. So we're posing the question. So, best, you know, we're not asking, we're asking is it better, aren't we? So, yes, that's we're not asking which is the greatest technical achievement. We're not asking which, which pushed music along. Well, no, further. no, no, but better's all, it's all valid. Better can mean anything. Better for music, better for, uh, so here's the thing, right? I don't know if you if you ever get this, but you go out for a meal and you've got a lovely steak, it's cooked just how you want it, and fries and it's just all good you've got beer on the go and then someone sat across from you you know your wife or your mother whoever are those the only two people that you go out for meals with well i don't go out for meals with anyone these days but uh Uh. um and they don't like what they got and you say "I'll, i'll tell the waiter and they're like no no it's okay and you know they're not enjoying theirs and it it does something to your enjoyment somehow now that sounds like a really convoluted little uh how does that apply to this there's something about knowing brian wilson was like so close to a nervous breakdown knowing that it's not really a beach boys album they just feature knowing that it was such an ordeal to get this thing completed for in some way taints it for me And, and and to the same end let it be was a really like things in the Beatles weren't good during Let It Be, and that always taints that album for me. Whereas in in Sergeant Pepper, it was this explosion of you know it's probably really the last album where John and Paul were working together at their absolute best. It's, yeah, the Beatles are the greatest band of all time, and I think they all brought their A game on this album. And yes, you see so much brilliant storytelling. You you hear so many different genres of music, and it's just brilliant and it did change music history it did change recording history and it's just brilliant and and i thought of it like this if you had to remove one from existence i at a push would probably remove pet sounds because i i know smiles i actually think i think smile is a better album I don't think you can remove pet sounds. So for me, it does. It's not tainted by by Brian's mental state or anguish at the time. I think it's cathartic. I think it's him expressing and bettering his mental state in some ways by producing this, by him putting together his his fr- not free for all his something he had in his head that he can put down that he can call his that is exactly what he wants that says something that fulfills his requirements to do so while pushing against his record label pushing against his bandmates pushing against his own demons and still coming up with potentially the best at song in the world and yeah. the best album that then pushed forward so much from a single guy is is art worthy of being that top position the fact that for me this album is homogenous like i am in my chair and you can listen to it quietly you can listen to it on your own and it means so much to you as an for me i love introspective albums i love albums that convey how people are thinking and feeling 
more so than I do stories about people, the external. And how this tracks through that, how he was able to produce it in such a way that then led on to other albums in their production methods. Um, I think it was radical, it pushed the boundaries hugely, and I think this album is more important than Sgt Pepper's, and I think there are better Beatles albums. May not ne- ne- might not necessarily be as groundbreaking albums, but I think Abbey Road is a better album than Sgt Pepper's, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I was just, as you were kind of talking there i don't know why i went went here but i thought okay what followed sergeant pepper um and it's magical mystery tour and i'll just quickly whiz through the tracks on this so um and and the two that emi brought out singles got put on this album so you've got magical mystery tour fool on the hill flying blue jay way your mother should know i am the walrus hello goodbye uh, strawberry fields penny lane baby you're a rich man all you need is love now i almost I almost wonder if any of those songs could have been thrown onto Sgt. Pepper's and vice versa. The hard thing is, is Sgt. Pepper's what it is because of the hype? And is it almost like a self-fulfilling thing where you know it's you know it's the best album, so therefore it's the best album? I think it is, yeah. So Steve, if if you're sat of an evening, you have a drink in front of you, you've had a hard day, or you've had a great day, or you're there with friends, or whatever the situation is, are you more likely to put on Pet Sounds or Sgt. Peppers? Honestly? Yep. Probably Pet Sounds. And why is that? Well, I guess, sonically, I guess the question about is it a better album is makes it this difficult for me with my... who I'm pitching for, because as an album, it it is just a complete thing it just works start to finish yeah. and you can have it on quietly in the background and it won't it doesn't distract or you can have it on very loud and you can soak up all the instrumentation and the harmonies and the brilliant songwriting so in those in that scenario reluctantly i'd say pet sounds for me is probably the album i prefer because i i think i could listen to magical mystery tour if i really needed that kind of feel okay but at the same time is it a better album let's 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 compromise a little bit in here in that pet sounds is a more listenable album you can listen to it more you know it's not it's not absinthe it's not 110 percent proof blow your head off stuff but then sergeant peppers when you need it it's yeah. there, and I I would not be without it. No. Okay, well, I'll I'll take that as a compromise, but I think yeah, you've you've probably just edged it, and but it's been brilliant to just talk about these fantastic pieces of art, and absolutely for the people in in the sixties to hear these two albums, you know, within a couple of years, boy, that was a good time for music. I just wasn't made for these times, Steve. <laughs> precisely well do you know what we'll, we'll we'll call it there um thanks so much for listening everyone um if you want to get in contact with us about any of our previous episodes or recommendations you can find us on twitter it's uh, b and g underscore podcast and yeah we'd love to interact with you on there thank you for listening thanks very much